We've been in a series uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, studying this amazing sermon, Matthew chapters 5 through 7, this incredible moment when Jesus, the Word made flesh, sat down on a mountainside on the north side of the Sea of Galilee and began to speak words that would roll across really the ages to this very place, this very moment. And so we get to hear from his heart, hear from the heart of God, uh, the things that he thought were most important. The second part of the sermon uh, deals with 12 topics. And they might not have been the topics that we would have chosen immediately. They aren't, if we did a little survey, that they may not be the things that uh, we would think of, but uh, they were the most important things that Jesus wanted you and for me to know and to hear from him. He talked about anger. Uh, he talked about lust. He talked about divorce. And we're to the fourth topic, which is about oaths and honesty. He had some things to say. And so in just a a few verses, we want to hear the word on your word and uh, hear what the Lord has to say to us. Matthew chapter 5, beginning verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Now let's stand and let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you speak to us and and that you illumine us by your spirit to understand your heart, to understand your word, your voice for our day and for our time and for the things we struggle with all the time. Speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. There's no doubt that we live in a world filled with thoughts and words. So many words. We, we talk about the talking heads and all the different things that they say. All the different places we look and we see or we read or we hear opinions. Uh, we, we hear things that sound like they might be right, but then we figure out they seem to have been twisted in some way. And we find ourselves searching for words that we can trust to understand what's going on around us. We hear people who, who say, uh, you have my word on that. And immediately we have kind of a check in the spirit as to whether that's really true. Or my word is my bond, and we're not sure how strong that bond is. I've even found myself saying, well, to tell you the truth, as if everything before this has not been the truth. (laughs) And so I need to hear myself and some of these phrases that I pick up. And so we're always trying to seek true words, 
so that we can know the situation and we can make good decisions. Amen? And so, in a world where we are bombarded by false words and twisted words, we need to know what to do and where to go and how to live our lives. I was studying this and I came across a quote by John MacArthur describing the world that we live in. Now, it's a little bit stark, so just hang on. As he's describing really that the human condition in regard to truth. He says, truth is so scarce that nearly everyone is suspect. Business people, advertisers, commentators, clerks, salesmen, lawyers, doctors, tradesmen, teachers, writers, politicians, and even many, if not most, preachers are suspect. Our whole society is largely built on a network of fabrication of manufactured truth. We shade the truth, we cheat, we exaggerate, we misrepresent income tax deductions. We make promises we have no intention of keeping. We make up excuses and betray confidences. All is a matter of normal, everyday living. So much of business, politics, government, the educational system, science, religion, and even family life is built on falsehoods and half-truths. That a sudden revelation of the whole truth would cause society as we know it to disintegrate. It would be too devastating to handle. I read that and I had to take a deep breath. And then I realized, well, he lives in California. So... My apology to the Californians and California people. But that may shade it a little bit, I don't know. Really, such an assessment should not surprise us. Because the Bible tells us um, that, that Satan is called the prince of this world. He, he, he has a, a reign that goes on in this world. And he's not just a liar himself, but he's called in Scripture the father of lies. Scripture also teaches us that because all men are born in sin, all of us are born in sin, and are bent toward sinning, that's our fallen state, all men are born liars. It doesn't mean that everything that we say is a lie, but it does mean that we have more of a bent, more of a tendency to lie to get what we want than to tell the truth. And maybe have a consequence to that. And yet, we live in a society, we live in a world that's bound together by promises, commitments, and oaths. That's a big part of what holds us together. We look to these things. Oaths are made to ensure that the truth is being stated. We give sworn testimony, raise your hand, to to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help you, God. And, and, and this is a common part of our, of our society. Public officials and members of the armed forces are sworn into office with a pledge to defend the Constitution of the United States. It's a part of what holds us together on, on all ends. And we make vows of holy matrimony, we call them. Uh, vows of marriage and fidelity to one another. And yet so many of these are broken. We, 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 we see it a good deal, or at least we question it. 
uh, as leaders don't seem to be defending the Constitution, at least not in the way that we would think. And sometimes we, we look and we see what well, we studied last week with divorce about half of those vows are broken at some point during the life of those vows. And these are important, uh, but oaths were even more critical in the time of Jesus. There were written contracts in the time of Jesus, but they weren't common. They didn't have, you know, you didn't go down to Office Depot and get some paper and write a, a contract or something like that. Life was mostly a matter of people keeping their word and certifying the truth. They would seal a contract by oath. They would, they would swear it before others who were there, others who were around. But this had become a very twisted situation. And Jesus is talking about it in verse 33. He says, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, you shall not, but shall perform to the Lord, not just to those other people, what you have sworn. Now that's not a direct quotation from the law, but it is a summary of several different verses. Exodus chapter 20, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, in emptiness, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Leviticus, you shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your Lord. It's a profaning of his name. And then he says, I am the Lord. Every time I see that in scripture where he says, I am the Lord, it's this kind of adamant reminder Numbers chapter 30, if a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. That's a powerful statement. I'm going to uh, do according to all that proceeds from my mouth. But in the time of Jesus, people had come into a habit of swearing on all sorts of things uh, with a sort of twisted intention behind it. They would swear on heaven and earth or by Jerusalem or toward Jerusalem. And the binding nature of the oath, this is fascinating, was how closely the rabbinical ruling uh, would be that the oath was related to Yahweh's name. You might not be bound to that oath, If what you swore on was not close enough to the name of God, to the name of Yahweh. In fact, in in the Mishnah, now the Mishnah is part of the Talmud. We talked about the Talmud last week. But the Mishnah had one whole tractate, which is like a chapter, detailing an elaborate system regarding oaths. It, it, It showed the rabbi how to rule on different oaths, and it depended on how closely the oath was related to Yahweh. Swearing by heaven and earth was not as binding as swearing by Jerusalem. Jerusalem was more important. But swearing toward Jerusalem was equally binding. And they they were sort of splitting geographical hairs to try to figure out whether an oath was binding or not. They were also creating phrases that were chosen to create loopholes. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? (laughs) And by knowing the rules of how these would be interpreted, one could get away with lying even while they were swearing, even while they were giving an oath, even while they were making a vow. It was a, a kind of a form of 
religious legalese. I, I can get out of this if I phrase it just right. And the oaths that have been intended to foster truthfulness uh, promoted deceit. This made Jesus a little bit unhappy. You should rumble because it, he was a whole lot unhappy with this. In fact, he addressed it in another place, and we, ha- we find it recorded in Matthew chapter 23, and it is a scorcher. Just in case you want to know, if you want to warm your hands gently near Jesus, don't go to chapter 23 of the book of Matthew. Uh, have, you ever, have you ever gone out to your grill and op- open the grill and you're trying to light it and you turn it on and you hear it hissing and it's going, but you can't get it to go and you can't get it to go and it's hissing and hissing and you can't get it to go and finally you toss a match in there and what happens? Woof! You're lucky if you still have eyebrows. That's chapter 23 of the book of Matthew. I mean, he lands on the religious people, the religious leaders, just in such a powerful way. This is not sweet, Jesus, meek, and mild. Listen to just this part. He says, woe to you, blind guides. Wow. I do not ever want to be called a blind guide. In other words, you're guiding people, but you are blind, and you don't know where you're going. Woe to you, blind guides, who say... If anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by his oath. You blind fools. This is Jesus. For which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But anyone who swears by the gift that is on the altar is bound by his oath. You blind men. For which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? I would insert, give me a break. That's not in there. (laughs) But that's the sense that we get from it. So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Jesus was deeply concerned that these oaths that were designed to encourage truthfulness had become a a system of clever lies. And so Jesus apparently abolishes oaths altogether. In the next few verses of chapter 5, verse 34, he says, But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. You might say, well, you don't know my hairdresser. But the truth of that is, you can't make one hair white or black. How many of you know it grows out? And you got to go back. And it really didn't change anything. And so Jesus says, do not swear at all. Verse 37. He says, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Literally, in the Greek, it says, but let your word be yes, yes, no, no. No. You've seen it translated probably in NIV and some of the other translations. Let your yes be yes, let your no be no. But literally it's yes, yes, no, no. Even James, the half-brother of Jesus, uh, made this very, very clear. And, And just remember, James, 
he didn't always like his brother. He wanted to capture him and take him away to get some kind of treatment at one point. The brothers came and tried to grab him. But later on, he became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And he said, but above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes, let your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. And actually, that wasn't a new idea. It's found in the law. Deuteronomy 23 puts it this way. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay in fulfilling it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. You shall be careful to do what has passed your lips, for you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. Do what you say and say what you're going to do. Now, this gets a little confusing because some groups have taken this to mean that there's a requirement to refuse oaths even in court. You know, every once in a while, I don't know, once a year, once every other year, somebody will call me up and say, Pastor, I've got to talk to you. I've been called into court. I don't know. Am I allowed to take an oath? Am I allowed to do that? I read this in the scripture and I'm not sure I'm allowed to take a vow. And I think that it's probably not a good interpretation to think that we're banned from giving an oath. As we look at the whole of Scripture, there's nothing wrong with an oath that is your word and is kept. That's not what Jesus was talking about. You are not betraying God by taking an oath to tell the truth. What you're t- what, the way that you defy God and betray God and profane his name is when you take an oath knowing you're not going to keep it knowing that you're wording it in such a way that you're not going to have to tell the truth or keep the truth. You're betraying God when you fail in that way to tell the truth. The point is to convey the importance and the truthfulness of everything that we say. You know, it's interesting because other scripture actually commends swearing by the fear of God. Deuteronomy 10 says, You shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him and hold fast to him, and by his name you shall swear. It's commended. Just not the twisting stuff. God himself swore. I I don't think I really realized that, but it's right there in so many places. God uh, swore not to send another universal flood. He swore to send a redeemer. He swore to raise his son from the dead. And he swears on his own name. He swears on his name, in the power of his name. I am the Lord. You know, I was studying that. It reminded me of a a movie some of you might remember, the movie Oh God. Do you remember that? With George Burns and John Denver. And George Burns plays uh, God, and he's brought into court, and he's to give testimony, and they swear him in. And you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God. He says, so help me me. (laughs) I love it but even the early Christians took oaths and and it's recorded in the New Testament so swearing and and oaths were intended to encourage truthfulness it's not a wrong thing to do the wrong thing is to take them surreptitiously or, or with a duplicity Jesus says anything more any of this uh, crafting 
in the background comes from evil or from the evil one is another translation, the father of lies. When we add loopholes so that we can tell a probable lie, we insult and defame the name of God. Part of the problem is that we live in an age of word crafting and sleight of tongue everywhere we look. I mean, there are, there are teams of speech writers who are carefully choosing the words and the phrases that uh, politicians are, are going to say in public so that they don't say anything that might be, uh, they might be grabbed for or, or they don't say anything they can't wiggle out of. Now, some of them aren't very good at following what the speech writers uh, give them. And here's something really to ponder. Even in testimony, uh, if you give a deposition, I've given depositions, and even in testimony, uh, you're sworn to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. But deponents who are preparing for deposition are commonly told, don't, don't volunteer anything. I mean, that's, that's the common preparation. It's just, I mean, every lawyer that I've talked to said, don't volunteer anything and don't answer any question that you're not asked. Don't give any detail that you're not asked. Now, now it's perjury if, if you don't tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. Those two don't go together very well. How can I tell the whole truth if I know something and I hold it back? It's a really good question to ponder for us in the age that we live in. We see it all the time, you know, whether it's on social media or somewhere in other media uh, where things are said and then they're twisted, they're taken out of context, and then pictures are used. And if a picture is worth a thousand words, a Photoshop is worth a thousand more. I am amazed. I mean, that, those images don't exist. Those aren't real. And we have amazingly skilled teenagers and college students um, in our congregation who are graphic artists who can create things such as this. Create an image that is not an image, that is not of anything real, that is crafted to portray something that never happened. And now we live, we hear, in the age of what they call deep fake video. This powerful technology where a video can be made to say something the person never said. It's a little bit scary, isn't it? Say amen. (laughs) These are the tools of manipulation in our age. And it means we need to keep our eyes very carefully in search of truth. I don't know about you, but I've gotten where if I haven't read at least four sources, I'm not attaching onto anything these days. I have to look around. We have to look around. Our tendency is to hear something and say, I like that because it agrees with something that I think I already know. I'm going to grab it, share it, send it out even though I haven't checked that out, we need to be very, very careful. I think that might be the word of Jesus from the hill to us. The bottom line, I won't say now here's the truth, but the bottom line is that we can only be responsible for our word and our words. That the things that I speak I will do The things that I say are as near as I know to be true. I've looked at them. I've searched. I've tried to figure it out. I'm not trying to slant things. And and to realize that we do lasting damage 
no matter how sincere we are, if we repeat an untruth without checking it, and we distort things to get our way, and we hurt the truth itself. Do we tell a story with a slant that that makes our point stronger? Do do we leave out a part of the argument in order to, to just try to win? Do we make commitments knowing that we are unlikely to fulfill them? You know, sometimes we want to make people happy, so we say yes, knowing that we're never going to do that. And we need to be people of our word. And here is the biggest truth. As believers, we have the truth, and we follow him. It's one of his names. (laughs) It's one of his names. I am truth. I am way, truth, and life. And it's so very important that as we follow him, we tell the truth. And here's the difficult part. All these topics, and it would have been easy to go through that list and just say, well, this one I don't think I need so much. This one I don't, I don't think I'm concerned with that. But each one of them, as we ponder them a little more deeply, we realize that they drive us to realize our spiritual poverty. One of the writers that I like a lot Uh, who interprets this as uh, D.A. Carson, and and he said, not one of us has not been angry with another to the point of calling a name. Not one of us has uh, has not carried a desire in our heart too long that we knew it was to the point of sin. And not one of us has always told the truth all of the time in every situation. And there are probably situations we could think of where damage has been done. It may not be repairable. It may be something we need to attend to. So I I was led this weekend to conclude with a prayer. And I've been doing that the past few weeks. And it's a prayer of confession. Uh, I begin with uh, two scriptural verses of of confession. And it's there in your notes if you want to take it home and... um, But I would invite you to to read along with me from the screen and to pray with me this prayer. Would you join me? Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there is any grievous way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. Give me strength and grace to speak the truth. Give me the character and honor to stand by the truth and keep my word. Build into my heart a desire to pursue the truth that I may never vary from it. Keep my eyes open that I may know the places to trust. Keep me from a life of mistrust. Gather around me those who love you as the truth, the way, and the life. Give me a heart of confession and repentance concerning my own failures. Show me how to repair the places where a mistruth has done damage especially from my heart and mouth in Jesus' name. Father, I'm so thankful for your amazing grace.
that, at, that you bathe this place, this gathering, our thoughts, our hearts, with a grace that we will continue to discover and, and never fully understand. God, we thank you that at the time we needed you the most, you died for our sins, to cover our sins and to cleanse us. And so, God, we, we pray that in this time as we celebrate that grace and as we draw near to you, you would draw near to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now we're going to receive the Lord's Supper. If you do not have one of the communion kits uh, from, that you got when you came in, raise your hand and our usher will bring this to you right back in the back behind you. Just keep your hand up until we get to you. I want to make sure that everybody has the elements for our communion. Anyone else? On the night he was betrayed, he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And said, this is my body given for you. Take, eat, do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Father God, we are so grateful for your faithfulness to fulfill all that you have spoken, all that you have spoken into existence. You are completing all of the truth that you have spoken, all of the prophecy that you have said. God, we, we just give thanks that you are a God of truth and we seek to be a people of truth. Build that into us. With such gratitude, we come and we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.